Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, babe. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, great. Great. Uh, we had a little bit of a setup thing in the beginning because we got a brand new fancy schmancy like recording thing i don't know what do you call it but um it, thank you to our patrons for allowing us to upgrade our recording equipment so if this sounds a little bit different hopefully better if it was worse that'd be p- kind of a bad investment yeah, it'd be bad although that'd be my fault because i probably didn't figure it out right yet because uh yeah this little thing's a pretty penny so we'll see we'll see how it goes mm-hmm. so uh thank you for being so like uh just completely chill during the whole process <laughs> i was completely just like this yeah. mike's like you're so angry right now well, i'm because- like i'm just sitting here right now i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> oh yeah it was exactly like this i literally had the same reaction uh-huh yeah it, you guys uh, you ever you like go through that where it's like they say that they're you know not mad or anything it's like why why are you so angry right now i'm not angry it's like well whatever you're sounding like right now like that's more annoyed than angry okay i'm sorry i didn't label it correctly so, yeah um, it was your fault not it, mine it was it was so i think uh yeah we're in a better spot we'll see i've, I've got these like fun buttons we'll see like uh <laughs> oh my gosh our dog is in the room with us and she's hearing all these noises and she's like jumping up in her bed so we won't be doing these very often but i have to do it at least for the first time let's see so I could like turn that up and down, obviously. So, you know, volume's a cool thing. Uh, but yeah, it uh, should be fun. Uh, we'll see if we can put some interesting things in there. Mike's got a new toy. I do. Exactly. So that's that's all I'm worried about. How's your week going? It's going. Same old, same old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, anything? Uh, I, my friend sent me a text right before we got on. He's like, may your week or may your morning be filled with blueberry pancakes and sausage patties, both oh. links and patties. I was like, whoa, that is maybe the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. And it sounds good. Yeah, it does. And I was like, now I want blueberry pancakes. I wonder who's going to make me blueberry pancakes this morning. Um, it reminds me of uh, Pulp Fiction. Blueberry pancakes. Oh, remember I forgot that? about that. Yeah. We're going to watch that with the family. Pulp On fiction? another note, speaking of food... You didn't even say anything about that. Pulp no, fiction. we're not watching okay. Pulp Fiction as a Thank family. You. Thank you. Sicko. Go ahead. Um, I come home from work yesterday, two days ago, because today's Sunday, and Mike is eating chicken. And I'm like, "What? not that chicken from like eight, nine days ago? How, how long ago was the chicken from? I think I made it last Tuesday. Not like last Tuesday, but last last Tuesday. So 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. By that day, it was probably 12 days. He, so 11, maybe 11. This is the kind of person I'm living with and sharing my life with. Okay. Well, that poor little chicken or chickens, as they were, gave their lives for me. So I want to make sure that I'm even properly nourished and want to make sure that they didn't go in vain. I feel like I'm living with a lunatic. <laughs> and maybe I'm a little cheap. Maybe I don't want to buy more chicken. Maybe. But you're willing to get sick over it? That'd be a hell of a weight loss. <laughs> yeah, it would be. It'd, It'd be nice pretty miserable for you, too. Speaking of, did you hear, I told you, talked to you about it. I don't know if our listeners heard, but there's some idiot on TikTok, big surprise, that's like, uh, he'll, if you're a nurse, you work at a hospital, you know all about how there's like a rice, you know, it's dangerous to eat day-old rice, anything more than a day-old. And I'm like, I eat like week-old rice sometimes. Well, not a week-old, but like, you know, if I'm putting it in a stir-fry in the morning or something like that, I, I make a little like eggy stir-fry. With soy sauce, it's delicious, by the way. And uh, yeah, it's, all these people are like, yeah, I know all about that. We won't touch day old rice. It's like I've, this is there's some bacteria that's like heat resistant that like grows in rice. And you said you didn't hear about it. I've never heard of that in my life. Okay. I work in a hospital for almost 20 years and I've taken many 
like food safety classes because I used to work in kitchens back in college. Right. I've never heard of that in my entire life. And I think that's probably a better source as somebody that's done food safety. But uh, does that mean I could have possibly missed something? I've never heard of it. Hopefully none of our listeners ever suffered this condition. I sure hope not because it sounds pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Just um, like eating 12-day-old chicken does. Well, yeah. But so far, so good. So knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah, so good. Uh, anything else going on? No. I'm okay. ready to jump into this Let's if you do are. It. Yep. Okay, so this is a listener suggestion from Anita, and this is the murder of Janet Chandler. So it was the late 1970s. Jimmy Carter was president. Sony had just unveiled its portable music player called the Walkman. Ooh, that's uh those kind of those are kind of in style now a little bit. Like the older ones with the cassettes. Hmm. You know how like like older stuff comes back? Like, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't you be like kind of like look at somebody that had it and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, they know it's like super old technology. It but. always reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. Because exactly. Chris Pratt had his. Yep. So it was 1979. Just so happened to be the year that you and I were born. Yay. So Janet Chandler was 22 years old. She was working nights at a local motel, which was the Blue Mill Inn. During the day, she was a music student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. Holland was a serene location where the streets were dotted with quaint Victorian-style streetlights. In each spring, six million tulips bloomed. So Hope College is where she went. It's a small Christian school in the city's idyllic uh, downtown area. So Janet's parents, who are Jim and Glenna Chandler, they were not happy with her daughter's their daughter's setup because she was working nights. So she was by herself when she was on her shift, and they didn't feel it was safe, and I would not blame them for that. So Janet came from a conservative Christian family. She sang in the choir of her church. She was described as a happy-go-lucky girl who lived a very sheltered lifestyle. Janet wasn't allowed to attend sleepovers in homes that contained alcohol or where alcohol was consumed. She was outgoing um, in high school. She did date some boys. It never went too far sexually, you know, because of her her beliefs. She tried nursing school after graduation from high school, but she felt that the students were a little too wild for her likings. Okay. Yeah. Nurses are a good time, I will say. A lot of nurses I've met. Well, I mean, it's a very serious job with mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, stress and sadness. So sometimes you just want to let loose afterwards. And sometimes cope with things that maybe you shouldn't sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying nurses all do that. But yeah, nurses, every nurse I've met for, for the most part. Fun, pretty, cool pretty people. Fun, cool. Yeah. So as Janet went on to community college in 1974, she began pushing her boundaries as kids often do as they're getting older. Um, and she was experimenting more with her sexuality. There's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. It's actually fantastic, in my opinion. So the Chandler's worst fears about Janet's motel job actually came to reality. Just after 2 a.m. on Wednesday, January 31st, 1979, they were notified that the Blue Mill Inn was robbed of only about $500. But the most concerning thing was that Janet was missing. They were frantic, and alongside their son, Dennis, they searched for Janet all night long. They drove to Holland and through all the back roads in search of their daughter, but there was no sign of her. Uh, that's I mean, I would feel the exact same about a late night work job. You know, it's just like bad things usually happen at night. If mm-hmm. there's any kind of robberies or anything, like our son one time asked, like, you know, should I ever work at a gas station? I'm like, if you can not do it, then please don't. You know, I would never want him to. Yeah, it's, especially late nights. It's like, uh, sure, they might pay you more or something. I, I would hope, but uh, it's, it's, it's one such a thing, rough thing. I'm so sorry. I just cut you off. Oh, so good. rude of me. 
Um, it's one thing if you're working like as a night nurse or something, you're in a secured hospital. But you know, when you're at a desk of a motel where anyone can come in and out freely, it's just scary. Yeah. It ups the scary factor. So tragically, the next day, it was about 1 a.m. on February 1st, and a snowplow driver was clearing the frigid streets of Interstate 196 near South Haven, which was about 40 miles from Holland, when he noticed fresh tire tracks on the road's median, which was very strange to him. So because he found this odd, he decided to follow the tracks to a wooded area, and this led him to his horror. He found an arm and part of a torso poking through the snow. These were the only visible portions of what ended up being the naked and battered body of a woman. Janet's parents were called to the South Haven Police Department to identify their daughter's body. Jim remembers feeling absolutely numb and could not believe that something this horrific could happen. The autopsy indicated that Janet had been strangled. There were indications of recent sexual activity, is what they classified it as. Uh. So Janet's funeral took place in a church where she sang choir, and during the service, a recording of Janet singing My Jesus was played at the service. Oh, gosh, that had to like, just be bringing down the room. How horrible. And the fact that Janet sang at her own funeral was extremely painful for the Chandlers. And after, they could never bring themselves to listen to their daughter's recordings again because it just brought so much pain back to them. Yeah. The vicious murder stunned the residents of this quiet lakeside town of Howland, and an intensive investigation began. For months, police interviewed Janet's family and friends, as well as co-workers and guests from the Blue Mill Inn, and more than 1,000 pages of notes had been compiled in her case. At one point, local men were suspected of being involved after they were overheard bragging. I mean, who does that? Uh, we've mentioned that in several episodes, like just seeing, like asking people all around, <clears throat> excuse me, if they've heard anybody talking about mm-hmm. it, bragging or at a bar or talking. Yeah, that's usually where it is. Have a have a little couple sips of, uh, you know, grandpa's cough medicine. And then all of a sudden things start coming up. They start talking. So, you know, they're bar hopping and talking and people are overhearing this and they're implicating themselves in the case. Despite this, no arrests were made, no what? real leads developed, and the case grew cold. Oh, my God. You think like, the, oh, yeah, this guy talked to this time, and obviously this was in 1979, so not not a lot of surveillance available. No, there wouldn't be, but I'm assuming they talked to these men. These men later said, oh, we were just talking, and maybe they had backed up alibis Yeah, is what I would assume. So Jim, uh, Janet's dad, was not expecting the lack of progress. He assumed that someone from the motel must have seen or heard something the night that Janet was abducted. I mean, we're talking about a 22-year-old girl, you know, being taken from a motel. You would think there'd be screaming. There's guests there. How did they get her out of there with nobody seeing or hearing anything? So he was shocked that the case had grown cold. So he's wondering now at this point if other people are keeping a secret and holding something back from investigators, but nobody came forward to say anything. So more than two decades had gone by and the Chandlers felt that their daughter's case had just been simply forgotten. However, in September of 2003, 24 years later, a Hope College film class that was led by associate professor David Schock decided to make Janet's murder the focus of a documentary within the class. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So they were hoping, the Chandlers, excuse me, were hoping that the film might bring the case back into focus, bring more light to it, 
kind of bring it back to life. And this was 2023. So mm-hmm. last year? No, t- 2003. Okay. So Sorry. 24 years after Janet had been abducted and murdered. Got it. So they were hoping that this documentary could potentially jog somebody's memory and bring some new clues to light. So one of the film students, this is 21-year-old Sarah Hartman, who was a junior at Hope College, brought her video camera to Jim and Glenna Chandler's home in Muskegon, Michigan in the fall of 2003. Jim and Glenna sat side by side on their sofa and were very eager to discuss their daughter as they described her as the most spiritual one of the family. Janet was their only daughter of three children. Jim brought out a box of Janet's belongings that hadn't been touched in almost 25 years at that point. It included a college application that Janet had gotten started for college. Janet wrote, My goals are first to acquire what God wants for me. His desire is for me to acquire my bachelor's degree in music vocal education, then my master's degree. I hope to teach in a private, probably Christian school, and to also work in theater and opera. The students learned that Janet was extremely devoted to her faith, and during one of their interviews with the Chandlers, Glenna held her daughter's heavily underlined Bible. In her younger years, Janet had gone on to an evangel—I know I'm going to say this wrong. Evangelistic? Evangelical missions? Evangelical. Thank you. Thank you. So she went on these missions and participated in the choir. As she moved on to middle school, she worked part-time at a daycare center. She continued to dedicate herself to her love of singing. So it sounds like her love of singing as well as her faith were the centers of her life. And they spoke about their daughter's beautiful singing voice. Jim also discussed the Blue Mill Inn and how during one visit to see their daughter during work, they noticed a group of rough-looking individuals loitering in the lobby. They felt very regretful that they hadn't questioned more and done more about their uneasiness that they felt about Janet's position. So as Sarah continued her interview, she felt a connection to Janet in the way that Jim and Glenna spoke of their daughter. It made her seem like... It made... Sarah feel like the murder just happened. It was basically bringing it all back to life. Mm -hmm. And she's feeling this connection with Janet. Sarah felt that everything about Janet was so real. And during a break in filming, she looked at a photo of Janet wearing a white blouse and a mischievous glint in her eye. As she continued to view the photo, she began to see an eerie resemblance between herself and Janet. Hmm. Glenna saw it too. And Glenna rested her head on Sarah's shoulder and began to sob. This moment gave Sarah the motivation to try to find answers for Janet's grieving parents and to give their daughter back, if only for an hour or so, on film. The case hit close to home since Janet had been about the same age as Sarah. She physically resembles her, and Sarah goes to the same college that Janet went to. So it's bringing up up a lot of emotion. Yeah. You know? It's a a little strange, but I'm thinking, like, did she have a child before or something like that? But I don't think so because she was so Oh, no. Not at all. No. Um, Because Sarah's only, what did I say, 21 years old. Janet's been gone for 24 years. So no, it's just, it's just bringing everything, dredging it all back up. Yeah. So it's it's painful. So um, little did Sarah know that the documentary that she and seven of her classmates were working on would trigger a fresh police investigation and uncover the gory details of Janet's last moments. Film instructor David Schock felt the mysterious unsolved mystery murder, I should say, would be a good project for his class after he learned of Janet's case in the spring of 2003 while interviewing a detective who was retiring from the Holland police. 
Shock was just talking with him and asked the detective if there were any cases that still haunted him to this day. And he turned and pointed at a photo of Janet that was still hanging on the bulletin board and it had been there since 1979. Mm. And he referred to as, yes, this one still haunts me that we were never able to catch who did this to Janet. Hey, that's pretty awesome on the police part. This, you know, to be haunted by something, it's because, you know, and not to be desensitized by mm-hmm. all the horrible things I see all the time. So, you know, it seems like a caring police department. Right. Because you can become numb. Absolutely. To so much tragedy around you. So as the film students prepared to start their project, Shock warned them not to get their hopes up that they're going to solve a murder. Sure, because then you can all get into it. And everyone, you know, as podcasters, obviously, too, we get into every single one of these horrible stories we tell about. And it's just like at the end, like, hopefully somebody finds something and then you don't hear anything for like months and years. And it's just like, it's still unsolved. Right. And it's just so painful to think that whoever did this is just out there living their life. Like nothing ever happened. It's just it's so hard. So he instead encouraged them to aim to revive Janet's memory by making the documentary. The plan was to speak with Janet's parents, her old college teachers, and the police about their theories about the case. You know, who could have been involved? At most, maybe they would spark some new leads. The work would have to be swift since they only had four months to put this whole documentary together because they wanted it to mark the 25th anniversary of Janet's death. So as the students got started, they learned that in the winter of 1978, a massive strike was unfolding in Holland's Chemitron uh, paint plant. So during this process, Chemitron hired the Wackenhunt Security Company to provide guards who would keep the gates open for strike breakers. And about 70 guards were sent to Holland, and the majority were sent to the Blue Mill Inn to basically live during their time protecting this whole process. So after hours, the guards and the strike breakers would head to the Blue Mill Inn to stay in the 80 rooms that had been reserved for the Wack and Hunt force. And they would all head to the bar next door, which was the tap room. So there's a lot of people from out of town in various parts of the country that are now staying at this inn. So Sarah and her classmate, who is Amy Schuschler, wondered about Lori Ann Swank. So this was Janet's supervisor at the Blue Mill Inn, as well as her roommate in an off-campus apartment. Lori was 21 years old at the time that Janet was murdered, and Sarah and Amy learned that she left town shortly after Janet was murdered and wondered why. Okay. They could tried. Be, you know, could be that <laughs> she wanted to get you know, away from the memories and things, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's also something. Just find out why. Right. So they tried to track her down, scouring the phone books and knocking on doors of her old neighborhood, but no one knew where Lori had gone. So they began to document both Janet's life and death and went back to the fateful night of January 31st, 1979, which was the night of Janet's murder. It was just after 2 a.m. when police received a call from the Blue Mill Inn, and it was a person saying, I have reason to believe that there might be a robbery in progress down in the officer lobby. Holland Police Detective Jim Fairbanks raced to the scene and determined that there had been a robbery and that Janet was missing. So Janet's jacket was still draped over her chair. Her cigarette was still smoldering in the ashtray. Robert Lynch, who was one of the five security guards staying at the Blue Mill Inn, was the man who had made the 911 call. And when he was interviewed by Fairbanks, he said that he hadn't seen anything. He hadn't heard anything. 
Fairbanks was befuddled that despite the fact that the motel was full of guests, not one eyewitness had seen or heard Janet be abducted or any kind of ruckus or anything at all. Mm-hmm. So Amy and Sarah were also baffled that Janet had somehow been placed into a car or her car, I should say, and wondered how she could be taken without anyone hearing her scream or put up a fight. They questioned that maybe Janet had gone willingly with her captor or captors. First thing comes to mind. It's like somebody she knew like, hey, come on outside. Okay, Mm -hmm. sounds good. Nothing to, you know, spark any kind of controversy. And then, you know, this would mean that she would have known the person or people because she wouldn't be screaming. She would have willingly walked out. So the students were tasked with visiting the spot where Janet's body had been found and she was just basically dumped in the snow. They viewed the crime scene photos as well. The photos show that Janet had been strangled with something, possibly a rope, a wire, or a belt. They wondered how soon after she had been abducted had she been murdered. If she had been alive for some time after her abduction, what happened during the hour she had been taken? Suddenly, the students had transitioned into investigators. You know, they're getting invested in this case. Yeah. So Jim and Glenna feared that they would die without ever knowing who was responsible for their daughter's murder. The student's documentary was titled Who Killed Janet Chandler? And it opened at the Knickerbocker Theater in Holland just days before the 25th anniversary of Janet's murder on January 30th, 2004. They had been no closer to solving the case than police had been, but they did accomplish bringing Janet's case back to life, which is really what the professor wanted from this case. Right. So Professor David Schock wanted to use the documentary as a springboard for the cold case investigation. But investigators were hesitant because obviously it would require a tremendous amount of work to reopen this case and go back to 1979 and try to speak to people that were still alive. Where did they go? All of that. And then you find out, you know, you're thinking, okay, we're going to find out a lot of the same things, what we already know. And then is it worth it? We absolutely want to find who's responsible for this, but is there any brand new information that we could actually, you know, find something out of? And it's like, or is it spinning our wheels and wasting resources where we can solve other crimes? But I guess you're never going to know unless you do it. Yeah. But it's, you know, the police work is never like, okay, there's a lull now. We have plenty of time to do everything. It's always new things coming up. So it's like, do we put away this in order to focus on this? Or, you know, you can't just hire five new investigators. Right. So Lieutenant John Slank indicated that there was physical evidence, but it didn't really bring any real value to the investigation and modern technology wasn't going to help solve it. I'm not quite sure what what it was. Hmm. The investigation would involve tracking down witnesses that hadn't been spoken with in 25 years. And their memories might be very hazy and fuzzy and just different. Yeah, we've, we've gone over how your memories like change every like three to five years or something. And like you could think something actually happened or some version of something happened and it didn't. Mm -hmm. And we're talking 25 years. People also start to die at this point. Yeah. So investigators hope that the documentary would encourage someone to come forward who had kept information quiet since 1979, because obviously somebody knows what happened. Probably several people. Maybe it's one person, maybe it's more, but somebody knows something. And by now you're far enough removed from it where it's like, okay, this person I was worried about is no longer a danger. Right. So Slank assembled what he referred to as the dream team of investigators who began learning all that they could about Janet and her life. It was their opinion that 
um, the more they understood about their victim, the victim often sometimes, even in death, pointed to their killer or killers because you learn their habits. Who were they hanging out with? What was their routine? That sort of thing. And a different mindset, you know, instead of the people that were working it, just some different people. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we can think different ways. Fresh set of eyes. Yeah. So when Helen police tracked down Lori Swank, this was Janet's boss and roommate and close friend. She was at this point living in Pennsylvania. She was in her 40s. She was working as a nursing assistant at a hospital. She described Janet as musical and fun-loving and said that she herself had not been working on the night of the murder. After they showed Lori a clip from the documentary, she indicated that she felt physically ill after watching, wondering what Janet could have done to deserve what happened to her. The team also tracked down a group of former security guards who had been staying at the motel in late 1978 and early 1979. The strike ended soon after Janet's murder, and the police hadn't had time to question all of them because they went back to their respective cities. So those that were questioned said that they barely remember Janet since they were working grueling 12-hour shifts. They basically said their routine was to come back to the motel and crash. So when investigators spoke with Glenn um, Johnson, who was a former guard who lived at the Blue Mill Inn, they got their first big break. He said that he had heard a rumor that a guard who was 39-year-old Robert Lynch was involved in Janet's murder. This wasn't the first time the cold case team had heard Robert's name since he was the one who had called in 911 to say he believed that there was a burglary happening on the night that Janet was murdered. Okay. So when a detective listened to the recording of the call, something just seemed off to him. The tone of the voice seemed scripted. It was very emotionless. It was like he was calling in as part of a task that he needed to do. There has been a burglary. Uh, We need help at this address. Please Mm -hmm. send help. Thank you. So when Robert Lynch was brought in for questioning, he came off as evasive and detectives believe that he had more involvement than he was leading them to believe. With this belief, the cold case team went after anyone who had been close with Lynch back in 1979 and showed them clips from the documentary. One person seemed to have an emotional response to watching watching the piece of this, and this was Harry Keith. He had been Lynch's roommate at the end. While he watched, a photo of Janet flashed onto the screen, and he told detectives that he had been the person to take the photo that he was looking at on the screen of the documentary back in 1979. With that, he showed them additional photos that he had taken that were inside an album of photos of people that were partying and drinking in these photos. So detectives learned that the Blue Mill Inn served as basically a party hub for guards who would use a conference room for their big gatherings. Things would get crazy with drinking drugs and sex. The parties would then hop around from room to room because people were staying in various rooms of the inn. Sure, it's like a sleepaway camp. Mm -hmm. So they're hopping around, and apparently during these parties, Janet got a lot of attention from the men. Robert Lynch was captured in some of these photos, as well as Janet. The guards said that, you know, when Robert Lynch is talking, he's saying he barely knew Janet. Yet, you know, she's actively involved in these photos that he's also involved in. So they're they're questioning how much do you truly know her? Yeah, you're keeping, I mean, maybe you didn't know her like, you know, back and forth, but like you hung out with her quite a bit. And he's indicating, don't really yeah, know her. Right. So in one of the photos, Janet's wearing a guard's uniform and she's sitting on someone's lap. Uh. Police brought him back in for questioning. And by this time, he was in his mid-60s. He was married with two children. 
He was a heavy drinker back in 1979. He was still actively drinking very, very heavily. Mm. Detective Joff Floor was, or I'm sorry, Jeff Floor was brought in because he was known for his interrogation skills. He was just well regarded for breaking people down into confessing, which gave him the nickname The Closer. Mm. So they're bringing him in to talk with Lynch. So after Lynch was brought back in, he was shown a clip from the documentary of Janet's father. Floor asked him if he had children and told him to put himself in Jim's shoes. Lynch had a daughter about the age that Janet was when she was murdered. So Floor started to see Lynch's foundation begin to crack. And finally, under intense questioning, he cracked. It was June of 2005 that this happened. Wow. So he told Floor that they had a party that went haywire on the night of Janet's murder. Over the course of 18 interrogation sessions over a three-month period. Jeez, 18 interrogation (laughs) sessions. That's intense. And you know each of those were like heavy. So you know this guy, the closer, Jeff Floor, must be an exceptionally patient person. Yeah. Because I'd be like, tell me the truth now. (laughs) After five minutes, I'd be like, what the F? Tell me the truth. Right, right. They'd be like, get this lady out of here. She's out of her mind. So he's obviously very patient because this is taking time. Like we just said, 18 interrogation sessions that happened over three months. So Detective Floor was able to fully break Lynch down and learn the truth about the party and the murder plot that was so elaborate and unbelievable that the veteran detective himself was absolutely shocked. And this guy deals with case after case after case, and this one shocked him. So Janet would have started her shift just before midnight on January 30th, 1979. Often her routine was to settle into the front desk. She would take out her notebook where she jotted down various religious thoughts. Robert Lynch told detectives that the plan began to unfold in the early hours of January 31st, 1979 at the Blue Mill Inn. He and another guard named Bubba Nelson told Janet that there was a surprise party in her honor. They told her that they needed to blindfold her so that they didn't. she didn't know where they were taking her. So she calmly went with them. And this is exactly why eyewitnesses didn't see or hear any kind of struggle. Right. Because she willingly walked out. So it was their plan to pass Janet around in order to teach her a lesson for having relationships with various guards at the motel. Police questioned the fact that the motel's safe was found open and $500 had been taken. Lynch indicated that he and Nelson were responsible to stage it as a burglary. Okay. So Lynch didn't head to the party since he had to work at 6 a.m., So after he had taken the money, he made the phony 911 call, and then he went back to his room. So Janet was driven across town to a lakeside cottage where one of the guards was staying. Rather than driving Janet to the surprise party that they had told her about, they brought her into an absolute nightmare. Janet was brought into a planned, and I'm going to tell you, this does involve sexual assaults. So if you want to stop listening at this point, I fully understand because it's very disturbing. So rather than bringing her to a surprise party, as they told her, they were bringing her to a planned gang rape. Jesus, that's insane. It's How do like you get enough like who are these people that hang out and it's all like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do this. Like you see, like you get, sometimes people are messed up in the head really badly and it's like one person's bad idea, but how do you get a like gang of people that are like, yeah, let's do this. Pass her around. Like that's insane and so horribly sick. And you'll learn how many people were in on this. 
So after continued interrogation, Lynch indicated that when he finished his shift at 6 p.m., he cleaned up and headed to the cottage. When he arrived, he found Janet sitting naked on a cushion with her hands bound and duct tape over her hands were bound. Duct tape was over her mouth. Guards were in the room dancing around in her under in their underwear and other men and women stood around drinking. Well, she's yes. like basically a, a prisoner. Yes, 100%. She's a prisoner who is, has been tortured. And like, what's the end game here? You know, like, is it just like you're going to put her back at work and she's going to be totally fine and happy with the outcome? Like, and not tell anybody? It's like, okay, I, that's uh, that's besides the point completely, obviously, because even starting this in the first place, you're out of your mind and sick and twisted, but just sick. But how did they think this was going to end? Yeah. So, so Janet's blindfolded and she's, you know, got duct tape over her mouth. She was tossed onto a bed. So this is as Lynch is coming over to the party, the party, if you want to call it that. And as many as 12 men sexually assaulted Janet. And in the meantime, a belt was tied around her neck. Lynch was eventually, he eventually confessed to being one of the men who not only assaulted Janet, but he also strangled her with the belt. He claimed that he had not intended to strangle her to death, but he noticed that she was no longer moving and found no heartbeat when he checked for a pulse. So, and, you know, as we've mentioned previously, it takes a long time to strangle somebody to death. But 12 men are actively involved in assaulting her and and pulling on the spelt. And Robert's the the one that... Yes, ultimately ended her life. Mm. So by the time the interrogation was taking place, the cottage had been long torn down. Robert Lynch told detectives that while he and the other guards were upstairs actively sexually assaulting Janet in a bedroom, there was a party going on downstairs with 25 guests that included both men and women. And all of these guests knew exactly what was going on upstairs. How do you live with yourself and how there were so many people knowing this and holding this information like you're all scumbags you're you all deserve like the worst possible things like man i mean i I get people make mistakes but this is much bigger than like one mistake that like well you know how do they live with themselves so i think part of the problem was is that a lot of these people did not live in holland michigan so they were able to detach themselves and go back to wherever it was that they came from and not have anyone who really knew about janet's case yeah but like as a human being wouldn't it like how know that you were there when somebody died you know exactly like who was involved so these 25 guests included both men and women and not one single person in 25 plus years said anything and not one stepped in to save janet knowing what was going on to her with her upstairs like i get the women not stepping in to save her because you know you don't want these insane men to like beat you down and do the same thing so call the police maybe send an anonymous letter you know once you're out of town be like go send it in and be like i know who did it look into these people you will find your answer like but like that's the least you could do but what about while it was happening right this, obviously the this men went there, on for hours and hours and hours robert lynch went on to work a 12-hour shift yeah so we're talking like many 12 16 whatever hours that this was going on that anyone could have slipped out and called the police to let them know what was happening inside this horrific cottage human behavior is a strange strange thing and as you get more of that group thing going on we've had other stories where it's just it becomes normal you look around and everybody else is doing it and then your brain says this is normal and i know it's so hard to fathom i'm 
not, I've never been in this situation even close to similar, thank God. But all these stories are pointing to this being possible. So if you think you're not you know, a person that might succumb to something like this, it's almost like dangerous. You know, I, hopefully you don't hang out with people that would ever get think this that this brain. was normal. Yes. But if you're kind of a yeah, ne'er-do-well, you know, some person that hangs out with a lot of people that do drugs and stuff like this is in your ballpark, just so you know. And so you got to be aware that this is a possibility. It's it's horrible. The, the human brain is crazy. So Lynch was arrested on February 7th, 2006 and charged with Janet's murder. He told them that it wasn't just men involved in Janet's attack and murder, but also women, specifically two to three women. One woman in particular was determined to get Janet. He said that she played the role of Janet's best friend, but he didn't believe that she actually was. He told detectives that he couldn't recall the woman's name, so they began to track down women that Janet was friends with in 1979. Diane Marsman worked with Janet at the Blue Mill Inn, and after repeated questioning, she finally opened up. She said that she watched from the balcony of the Blue Mill Inn as Lynch and Bubba Nelson abducted Janet. She went to the party with another woman who worked at the motel. This is Sherry Ruiz. As questioning continued with Robert Lynch, he told detectives that he remembered the name of the woman, and it was Lori. This is the one that really had it out for Janet. Why? Uh, she's jealous. Jealous, like... Because Janet's getting attention. So detectives remembered that Janet's roommate and boss was Lori Swank, who had previously expressed grief and disgust about her friend's murder. Yep. So, you know, she's first question. She's shown a clip from the documentary, and she's baffled at who would possibly do this to her friend. It sounds like it's going to well, come back. She she knew exactly. She knew exactly what happened. So Floor conducted several interrogations with Lori, and she finally admitted that she was in on the gang rape plan from the start. Oh, my God. Like, there's like almost 20 people involved in this gang rape. That's mm-hmm. insane. And I'm sorry. It's like not to mention it so flippantly because it's such a horrible thing. It's like unfathomable. She was actually there in the room when the torture ended for Janet. Lori said that she wanted revenge on Janet since she had slept with her boyfriend, Carl Paiva. On September 20th, 2006, it was announced that in addition to Robert Lynch, five other people were charged with first-degree murder. This was Lori Swank and then one of the former guards, who is Carl Paiva, who was her alleged boyfriend, James Bubba Nelson, Freddie Parker, and Tony Williams. After living in freedom for 27 years after committing this horrific murder, the defendants would finally have to answer for what they did. How old are they now at this point? 50s, 60s? 60s. Jeez. Mm-hmm. What a, it sucks that they got to live the best years of their lives. And yep. Have family, yeah, have kids, marriages. At least marriages. their kids will realize what scumbags they were, so that's good. But they got to do the things that Janet never had a chance to do. Robert Lynch was allowed to plead guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for his full confession, which included the admission to burying Janet's body in the snow where it was ultimately found. Wow. He was given 25 to 40 years in prison. Like Lynch, Lori Swank pleaded guilty to second-degree murder to serve as the state's witness and was sentenced to 10 to 20 years behind bars. So at this point, she's in her 40s. So she could get out as early as when she's in her 50s. Mm. Slap on the wrist, in my opinion. Yeah. So what police still couldn't understand was why Janet was the target. The Chandlers felt relief that someone would finally be held accountable for what they had done to their daughter. 
By the time the guards were arrested, many of the students involved in creating the documentary that helped reignite the investigation, they had already graduated from Hope College. But I'm sure they felt, you know, that they had helped reignite this case. Had they not made this documentary, this case would have never been reopened. So I give them like so much credit. Heck yeah. Awesome. So Donna Pendergast was the prosecution for the case and indicated that the evidence was lacking due to the fact there was no DNA, there was no fingerprint evidence or samples of any kind that could be used to compare to any of the defendants. It's really hard because this inn was the hub for all of these guards that were staying there. So I'm sure like the fingerprints were everywhere there that matched the people that were intended to be there. So anyway, they were lacking all this evidence. Yeah. So they were basically to rely 100% on the credibility of their witnesses. But because Robert Lynch suffered from alcohol-related dementia, did you know that um, chronic alcohol use can actually cause dementia? It's no. called like Wernicke's encephalopathy. And mm. it's it's because you're at a deficiency of thiamine when you're drinking heavily and repeatedly. And it actually causes like brain damage. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It's a poison and it gets rid of some gray matter, I believe, in your brain. So there's a lot of connections between alcohol and, and brain. So because now he's suffering from de- dementia, they can't rely on him to be a credible witness. Mm. So they would be relying on the women who saw what happened to Janet And these were the friends who had ultimately betrayed their friend. And this included Lori Swank. Swank testified in January of 2007 that Janet was very popular among the guards at the Blue Mill Inn, which caused Swank's animosity to just grow. The animosity was built on jealousy that Janet was popular and Swank was not. She indicated that in January of 1979, she had a crush on Carl Pava, who was the supervisor of the guards, but she felt that Janet was standing in the way of this relationship. And she indicated that Janet had started a sexual relationship with Pava, thus like throwing in, you know, the salt in her game, basically. I mean, this is like petty nonsense yeah, that leads that to this. Maybe you like stop talking to the person. You don't like support their gang rape. It's crazy. So in retaliation, murder. Sorry, also murder, right? In retaliation, Swank began telling Pava about Janet's alleged sexual escapades in hopes that he would think less of Janet. Swank indicated that he was angry by this information and told her that he would take care of it. In order to humiliate Janet, they came up with a plan and other guards that Janet had supposedly dated and dumped were also in on this plan. So they planned for Bubba Nelson to take Janet to the cottage where Carl Pava was staying during the strike. Robert Lynch would stage a robbery at the inn. He would be the one calling 911. Janet was taken at 2 a.m. and held in the cottage until the party began the next afternoon. Swank said that she went to the cottage to see what was being done to Janet and found that Janet was actively being raped when she arrived. She said that the, as this was happening, other men were just standing around watching and cheering this on. Sick, mm-hmm. sick, sick. So someone even stood by taking pictures. Swank indicated that she joined in on the cheering and began calling Janet names as she was being assaulted. She said that she did what she did because she was jealous and angry. Swank indicated that all of a sudden she heard someone say that Janet was dead and Swank noticed that Janet was motionless. At this point, she fled from the scene. 
Other witnesses, who was Sherry Ruiz and Diane Marsman, they said that they also looked on while Janet was being tortured and backed up the key portions of what Swank was saying. The women said that they had stayed silent for so many years because Bubba Nelson threatened this, that the same thing would happen to them if they came forward and talked. So it was Carl Pava that directed another guard to take the photos on that night. And Pava said that he was holding onto these photos to use against the group if they ever went to police because they're like, well, you're all involved, too, and you're coming down with me. Hmm. So the nearly 30 year old case was now in the hands of the jury. And as Jim and Glenna awaited the verdict, memories of their daughter came flooding back. They thought of her beautiful voice and her playful personality. On the second day, the jury came back with the verdict, and Carl Pava was found guilty of premeditated first-degree murder. The three other defendants were found guilty of second-degree murder, and all four faced life in prison. Hope College professor David Schock celebrated with the students that helped create the documentary, since this ultimately revived the case. Oh yeah. When the two went, when the two of the witnesses, who is Sherry Ruiz and Diane. Di- Excuse me, easy for me to say. Diane Marsman agreed to speak with Dateline. They were asked, why had you not warned Janet about what was going to be happening to her at this party, this so-called party, and what the group was planning to do? They made the excuse that they were fearful, and also they never believed that Janet would die in the end. The two women had... At worst, you would be um, you know, sexually assaulted by... 12 10, men. 12 different men. And then she would come back and work, and it would be totally she fine. She would just go back to college and her night job. It would just be fine. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm. So the two women had sporadically been in touch with each other over the years. They were questioned if they had ever discussed going to the police together, even sending in an anonymous confession. Right. They said no, because they didn't think that anyone would believe them. It doesn't matter because it would be anonymous. So you send it in and at least you get it off your shoulders. Like you're so full of crap. Right. A hundred percent full of crap. So Carl Pava, James Bubba Nelson, Freddie Parker, and Tony Williams were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Jim and Glenna voiced their appreciation to the cold case team for their hard work in bringing their daughter's killers to justice. Finally, after almost 30 years. The team had gone above and beyond and had even placed flowers on Janet's grave. The photo of Janet had been posted on the homicide division of the Holland police could finally come down after 28 years being posted in that same spot. As Jim and Glenna celebrated their 54th anniversary, they reflected on the fact that their daughter would have been 52 years old at that point. They felt that there was closure, but they could never truly be justice after after their daughter had been lost forever. Of course. And that is the sad and tragic murder of Janet Chandler that took 30, almost 30 years to get justice on. I mean, in the beginning, you wouldn't think that you would hear that entire story, that there were so many people involved in such a horrific situation that all seemed to be totally fine with it. And that all seemed to be that Janet was, quote, unquote, deserving of this. Like how in anybody's mind, like that's the reason any of these stories are so yeah, I don't want to say interesting, but they make us think because it's like, how are these people capable of such horrific actions? Right. And like you said, I mean, we're talking 25 people and about half of them actively assaulted her. I can't believe they all like kept it quiet for so long. How can 25 people keep it quiet? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And had this documentary not happened that we would, we would not have answers to this day. Yeah. Ugh, so I am just, 
comforted by the fact that these monsters, you know, got what they deserved. However, these other people that were actively involved at this party, they're still living their best life. They were never called in. They all knew how this ended. Janet's body was taken from this party and there were 25 guests there. Well, hopefully they can't live with themselves and they have nightmares all the time, especially when this came out and they know that everybody knows. And I'm sure their names came out somewhere, right? Maybe, hopefully. Everybody's names that were there like should be involved. Because there's there were a bunch of people downstairs at this party. Well, they all knew what was happening upstairs. How? I, I don't know. As yeah. a human being, I don't know how you could be like that. Yeah, you're all scumbags and uh, you deserve a horrible life. Don't kill yourselves because you don't deserve to get off. Uh, we just easy. hope you have terrible diarrhea and you can't control it. So while you're out in public, you just crap yourself. That's and, what we hope. Yes, and I hope you get that rice bacteria. That's uh, you know super bad. That's supposedly TikTok says is going around. Yeah, so that was at the beginning of our episode. Maybe that's the rice banter. industry's way of getting their product, you know, purchased more because yeah. we can't eat the leftovers. We have to just make it fresh. It could be. I wonder if that chick is part of Big Rice. They're part of the Big Rice industry. I we just solved that case. Oh, wow. How about that? Good job. You're so smart. Thank well, you. thank you for telling Janet's story. It's so sad. So sad. Just something to be aware of to tell our children and friends and stuff. It's, uh, it's a horrible situation. And, and I know that places need employment at night. I know that people have to be manned at these desks. And but mo- by, by and large, most don't have any kind of problems. Right. You know, but, but there's it's a scary. Much, much bigger uh, probability. Mm hmm. So we want to say thank you so much for listening. And if you want to support us financially, uh, you can do so through Patreon or through Apple podcast subscriptions. I just set up and put all 45. I, there's 45 bonus episodes oh. available for any Apple subscription person or uh, you'll see them listed in there as bonus episodes. So and so. And um, Patreon, you do the same thing. So, um, And yep. just so you know, we're doing four bonus episodes a month that yes. release weekly on Wednesdays. Yep. And Patreon, you can get like a, a lower level where you get two a month. Um, you know, if you have five bucks uh, a month, then, you know, we're, we're happy to you know, accept your donations. We, we appreciate it. And uh, this little mom and pop podcast uh, can't couldn't do this without you. So thank and you. That's pop. Yeah, I'm pop. And I'm Ma. Right. Just in case there's any yeah. confusion. We always got to make sure. Because sometimes in the public, people are like, oh, hey, you're mom. Like, well, no, actually, I'm Pop. And this is Ma. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so thank you so much to Georgia, Amanda, Abby, and Jen. Thank you and welcome to the Crime and Coffee Couple Club. We appreciate you. And um, if you don't have money to you know to, to invest in, then you can always just subscribe to us on YouTube or come vi- follow us on uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Uh, YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, just Google Crime and Coffee Couple and it'll show you all the different areas. Mm-hmm. So TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, we are on TikTok. So how about that? Almost 100,000 followers. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for everything. We uh, love and appreciate each and every one of you. Absolutely. Unless you're one of the murderers or something, then you're a scumbag. And we don't appreciate and you. And I hope you die. But either way, um, yeah. And until next time, bye. bye.